Welcome to the Gamer's Tavern. <laughs> Today's episode, we're exploring the dark side. We know that many people enjoy playing evil characters in their games, and this episode is devoted to discussing the challenges and risks that come with running a game with evil player characters. So grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner, and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Have you been looking for a dark fantasy RPG setting? Are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre? Then you should check out Accursed. Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on drivethroughrpg.com. Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy Accursed. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Gamers Tavern podcast. I'm Ross Watson, your host. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. Tonight we have with us two special guests, uh, one of whom is an extremely good friend of mine from back in the day, Master Sergeant of the United States Marine Corps, Bryant Smith. Hello. And we also have with us Jason Yarnell, the head guy behind D3 Adventures. How's it going? Uh, on behalf of Daryl and myself, we want to say thank you guys for joining us tonight, because we're going to have a great show about evil parties. <laughs> and not like a party where you get to be evil, like New Year's Eve party, but like a like an actual party of adventurers that are evil. Too but rarely done. We- yeah. Before we jump into that, we got to do what we do, what we always do here on the Gamers Tavern. Uh, we're going to ask you about your gaming character sheet, and this is just going to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, where they might know you from, things of that nature. Uh, we'll start with Jason Yarnell. Jason, what is your gaming character sheet like? It'll be chaotic good, if anything, with a borderline towards lawful good because there are times when I actually think laws are a good thing. <laughs> are you an elf? Uh, no, no. I am either a halfling <laughs> or human. <laughs> you should see my feet. They're furry. All right. And where where do our listeners uh, know you from? What What is a D3 Adventures all about? Uh, D3 Adventures started out in 2006 as a, a way for me to vanity publish one of my game settings and to escape corporate America. And uh, it was originally designed for, for a hero system. Um, I have since uh, expanded out to uh, developing settings for uh, Mutants and Masterminds 3, uh, Pathfinder, uh, still Hero System 6, 6th edition. Uh, and now I'm actually dabbling my toes in what is going to be D&D next at some point. That's awesome. Um, you've actually hired some of the guys that have been on the show with us before, uh, Michael Serbrook being one. Yes, uh, he has an entire product line with us called uh, Serbrook Stuff, which is based on things that he developed on his website. And uh, what is the newest thing for D3 Adventures? Uh, right now I'm working on uh, three settings. I'm working on the rewrite of Kamarathan, uh, to bring that, which is the first setting we released, to bring that up to 6E compliance and to clean up what was very evidently an amateur release. Uh, I'm working on Shattered Earth, uh, which is a an extreme post-Holocaust superhero setting where the Earth is literally in pieces, kind of like the moon from... um, Thundar, the barbarian. Thank you. That's what I was thinking of. (laughs) And then there's 
the Oceanic Confluence, which is, as best described, is colonial India anime steampunk, and you're basically children of gods. Wow. Okay, yes. that's, that's interesting. <laughs> Quite the genre. Yeah, hopefully okay. it's unique. One last question for you, Jason, about your character sheet. Uh, I see there's a section down here about teaching people how to shoot firearms. Oh, yes. Um, I actually have a second company uh, called On Target Training, uh, which is my chance to uh, teach liberals that it's okay to like guns. Um, <laughs> hey, as, as a liberal who likes guns, I don't need any teaching on that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and really, it's, it's a way for me to keep people from uh, becoming overconfident or forgetting the fundamentals and ending up shooting themselves or somebody else. Uh, far too many stories have I seen and heard about uh, people just forgetting that, yes, a, all guns are loaded. Even if they're not, they're still loaded. Well, as a former armorer for the United States Army, I think it's an awesome thing you're doing there. And it's right here in the middle of Texas. So it's a good place for uh, gun training, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to move on to Bryant. Tell us about your gaming character sheet. My gaming character sheet, hmm. well, my wife seems to think that I'm actually a high-functioning sociopath, so, uh, like, she, we watched Sherlock Holmes recently, and, and uh, she's like, yep, that's you, so. <sighs> One of my favorite lines ever. <laughs> I'm, I'm, right now, I guess, uh, chaotic neutral. Okay. Are you an elf? No, I don't, I don't think I would be an elf, <laughs> I think, think, think more of a, uh. Voss right now for the from uh, Birthright. Yes, one of the, the Mongolian Russians from the Birthright setting, which we did cover here on the show. How long have you been a gamer? Oh, good lord. I started gaming uh, about 1986. Somewhere around there. Uh, gamed pretty extensively until uh, around 2001. And then life kind of took over, and then I kind of shifted more into the uh, online uh, gaming. That's right. So, For our listeners, uh, Bryant is a very highly decorated uh, Marine, and he's possibly one of the most dangerous men I've ever known as a friend. Uh, so, <laughs> so you know, watch out for Bryant is what I'm saying. Um, but he's also a hell of a gamer, and actually a lot of the stories we've told here on the podcast have been about Bryant or games that I have played with Bryant in the past. Um, if you want to go back and talk about our, our episode on horror gaming and Ravenloft, and we talked about the All Dwarf Party, <laughs> Bryant was the GM in that game. You remember that yeah. one, Daryl? Yep. And, I remember that one. And we have also brought up uh, before some – well, it, you know, I don't want to spoil all of his stories because he has a lot of great <laughs> stories. Uh, but suffice it to say, Bryant and I have gamed together many, many times, and it's always been extremely memorable. And uh, dude is just a fantastic role player, possibly one of the best I've ever met. So – uh, thank well, you thank for coming you. on the show, gentlemen. Go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say thanks, and thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> all right, and it's been nice talking to you all. See you later. No, 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 no. no. It's not the, end. <laughs> the next segment is we're going to ask uh, what we've been playing lately, and I'm going to start with Daryl on this one. Daryl, what have you been playing lately? Well, it's been a while since this happened. Uh, I actually just posted the episode today, but last weekend, uh, well, not last, the weekend before we recorded, the weekend before, the weekend before we recorded, we were at Comic Palooza in Houston, Texas. Woo! So we did a lot of gaming there that we, most of which we've already talked about. Uh, some of the stuff we actually didn't get to because we did it on Monday. Uh, Ross and I played a game of Dark Nova. 
That's right, with, with uh, uh, Brandon O'Carries. Yeah, well, he didn't actually run the game, but it was his company, Dark Nova. And yeah, it was actually a, it was actually a fan of ours that works with him. Uh, he's he's a long haul trucker who listens to our podcast. I found that out when I was helping him set up. Did we remember his name? Uh, I don't. I'm so <laughs> I think, sorry. I, I think we both feel very embarrassed right now. I am but. so so sorry, man. <laughs> I, I warned you in advance. I'm going to forget it because I'm horrible with names. If you are, if you are that listener, please, you know, let us know, and we will make sure and mention your name in the future as a thank you and a way of saying we're sorry. And um, then uh, also, at Comic Blues, I got to play some uh, Angry Ogre games. I played Sink the Titanic. Right. The game that got them banned from Board Game Geek, because you're playing the icebergs trying to sink the Titanic, and it was a lot of fun. It's kind of a solo, minesweepery kind of game, so where it's kind of like Zen, you're trying to move. It, it's really kind of cool the way they work things out. All their games are really, really simple and really cool, and they look awesome. Uh, and one of the guys who works there designed our logo for the podcast. Yep, that's Michael Cox, and I remember his name because I'm friends with him on Facebook, so I see the name a lot. So. <laughs> well, thank God I'm friends with you on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, that's... Just... <laughs> Jesus. Of course, Richard. <laughs> All right, so Jason Yarnell, what have you been playing lately? Um, I've been doing most of my game been play-by-post. Um, we just... I just participated in a Pathfinder game for the very first time ever. And uh, unfortunately, due to life, the group had to disintegrate. Uh, so we got maybe two or three games in. Uh, but generally, I play uh, online, play by post, and it's almost always Hero System. Although recently, uh, well, I'm, I'm just about ready to start another play by post campaign that I'm running where I'm actually testing out the, uh, the D&D Next playtest. For some reason, I have an abnormal itch that I need to scratch with this game. Is it the October playtest packet that you're doing, or do you have some sort of insider thing that you got a newer one, like one of the friends and family playtests? Oh, that would be awesome. I'm not quite that (laughs) cool. Let's see, the uh, Castle Dragon Spear I bought, and it came with the Yeah, that's... Yeah, uh, yeah, I came with the rules that that is the same one that was released in October. So if any fans participated in the playtest, that's the same version. I hope you get a chance to come tell us all about it when when you have more experience with it and let us know what uh, Dungeons & Dragons Next is all about. Uh, sure. I mean, it's a complete departure from my favorite style of system, so it'll be interesting to see how I like it. <laughs> all right. And, Bryant, what have you been playing lately? Well, like I had said earlier, I'm, I'm pretty uh, heavily involved in World of Tanks right now, of all things. Uh, let me go figure. Yeah, why, why are you interested in World of Tanks? Uh, probably the 20-year career I've had in Marine Corps Tanks. <laughs> no, possibly. that couldn't possibly be it. <laughs> uh, what's re- what's really interesting to listeners is that we got three guys on this podcast right now who are all uh, armored crewmen, uh, as it said in the in, in the in the, in, in the army. Uh, I drove tanks and shot tanks. Jason Yarnell drove tanks and shot tanks. But neither one of us, I think, has nearly as much time in one of those beasts as Bryant does. <laughs> No, yeah, no, you got the no. hippie liberal conscientious objector over here. <laughs> it's a it's a good counterweight, but uh, another game. Oddly enough, uh, I'm in the process of getting ready to move, so I've been digging through boxes, and I came across Final Fantasy VII the other day, and lost my mind and completely geeked out that I still had it. So I dug out my old PlayStation, <laughs> and I've wasted like 30 hours uh, this last weekend playing Final Fantasy VII nonstop. So oh, man, that's a good game it was, too. It, it still amazes me what a great game that was. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, as for myself, I'm moving soon as well. I kind of made a final commitment, actually, this month to move to Colorado with Sean Patrick Fannin, who's been on the show before, and Corinne Seabolt, who's also been on the show before. And we're going to kind of move to Denver, and basically I'm going to start freelancing and doing all my own projects full-time, which is is really exciting for me, uh, but it's also kind of thrown me off of my uh, schedule. So I've only had a couple <laughs> of games recently since Comic Palooza. I've been continuing to play the Arduin Bloody Arduin game that is being run by my friend Monty St. John here, um, which is great, old school uh, dungeon crawling, basically. And I'm playing a bard in that game, which is... Uh, <laughs> is it a Kendrick? No, it's not. But it's it's fun to be able to just kind of be the empowering guy who sits in the back and gives everybody bonuses from time to time. I, I, I like that style of play, especially because it lets me get a little creative with the kinds of things that I'm... Um, my character actually has a fiddle. And I have some some great uh, MP3s of good like fiddle and violin songs that I bring up to kind of emphasize you know what my character is doing. Just about to ask, have you started writing your own songs for the Bard? Soon, soon. <laughs> and then I'm also playing in Bill Keys's excellent Champions game, which is Run Over Skype as the Avengers Next Generation. And one of the coolest things ever was that Bill decided that our adventure has taken us to the microverse. And we are actually fighting alongside the Micronauts. Oh, nice. It is so badass. It is just the coolest thing. Um, and the guys who are in our game, just all I will say about this, I'm a huge Micronauts fan, and he is bringing that world that the Bill Mantlow created to life. The Acroyers are awesome. Um, and we're going to the bug home planet, uh, Calaclack, in next, next week. So that's, uh, that's what we've been playing lately. Fantastic, man. I haven't heard Micronauts mentioned in decades. They're so cool. <laughs> we just all dated ourselves by knowing what that is, first of all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't care, though. Right? All right. So the next section is going to be called Tavern Tales. And we ask our guests to kind of give us a really memorable story about a memorable die roll that you may have had. Now, it doesn't have to be a die roll if you play games that have card flips or, uh, you know, anything that basically is a task resolution. Um, any, any of that is welcome. Uh, but we generally, we default to die rolls because that's pretty much what most RPGs are. So, Jason, why don't you go first? Can you give us a memorable story about a memorable die roll? Does it have to be my die roll? No. No. no just something you remember as being cool or awful. All right. So, <clears throat> back in... 84, 85. Yes, I was alive then. Um, <laughs> a, uh, there were two brothers that I gamed with, uh, Frank Hanline and Nick Hanline, and I hope they hear this podcast so they get this shout out. Um, Frank was my first messiah of gaming. Uh, he pretty much informed just about everything in my gaming style. Well, he was all about tactics and had the worst luck ever. And he also ran pretty much every one of our games where I wasn't running. And Nick had horrible tactics, but amazing luck. And this is one of those stories where Nick's luck really triumphed. Nick is captured and in a dungeon. He has nothing with him but some damp straw. He proceeded in his uh, patented arguments with Frank about how he should have a chance to do anything that he wants, no matter how minuscule that chance is. And what he wanted to do was pick the lock with a wet piece of straw. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And so Frank gave him some ridiculously low percentage, uh, which basically worked out to where he needed to roll uh, a one, a one, a one, a one, a one, a one uh, consecutively 
ad nauseum uh, on a d20. <clears throat> so Nick triumphantly picked up his dice and proceeded to roll exactly that number of ones consecutively. <laughs> and much to Frank's frustration and to his credit, he just raised his hands and gave up <laughs> and said, all right, you picked the luck. You know, it turns out this door wasn't actually locked to begin with. <laughs> that was one of the most amazing moments in our gaming history as far as showcasing the relationship between Frank and Nick in gaming. That's pretty amazing. That's a good, that's a good story. Uh, Bryant, can you give us a story about a memorable die roll? Absolutely, I can. Uh, as, a, <laughs> yeah. as a matter of fact, it would be in one of your campaigns. All right. It was the first game that I was unveiling, uh, which soon became the favorite character that I've ever come up with, Gavinon Taller, an Elven Blade singer. And he was being introduced to the party uh, that had already been involved in this campaign for a couple weeks in the prison of the a, Warlock. The Warlock. And there was a Draco Lich in this prison. Ouch. And, uh, yeah, so this is my, my introduction to the party. And so they freed, uh, Gavinon and I ended up having, uh, I remember I had five attacks this round and Ross playing the Draco Lich, uh, had just cast mirror image and was feeling quite haughty with himself. Oh, and blur and blur. And was like, okay, you know, Dracolich is safe. And I was like, okay, first thing, I have blind fighting, so that I'm going to close my eyes and get rid of all those <laughs> those vision things. <laughs> and, and Ross's face just kind of looked at me like, ouch, I had never really thought of that before. <laughs> and so I had five, five 20s in my hand, and I rolled them, and I had five 20s on the table when the dice stopped rolling. And Holy critted, 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 critted. And it was ridiculous. Insane damage and brought the Dracolich to its knees in my first set of die rolls with this character. One, that is a one in three million two hundred thousand chance. It was nuts. And I just remember going, okay, well, my turn's over. Next. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was great, but I will never forget the look on his face when I was like, I close my eyes. Here's my blind fighting check. I made it. And now the dice. Yeah. I I had, you know, in all the, the plans that I had put forth for the Dracolich's battle, none of them included a closing to his eyes. That's fantastic. So great story. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> All right, uh, so we've done our Tavern Tales. We're going to jump into our main topic tonight. And we're here to talk about playing evil parties in a role-playing game. So I'm going to throw a question out. The first question is for our two guests. What is What are some types, I should say, what are some, what are some different types of an evil party of role-playing uh, characters? Oof. Different well, there's types. the uh, kill them all and let it burn. Okay. Which- which is what I think most evil parties tend to descend into. So that's kind of like the capricious, you know, LOL, we're just going to go burn an orphanage because... We for can. the evils. Yeah, because, you know, we can do it. There's no restrictions. We'll just do whatever we want. <clears throat> Which has always been my fear of running evil campaigns in my younger days. What's what's another type of an evil party, uh, Brian? Uh, I prefer the lawful evil 
type party that that doesn't necessarily see themselves as being evil as more of uh, the means to the ends is is what they're going for power kind of just kind of immoral maybe usually that's you know it's it's kind of uh i don't know like i said it, it's it's typically they're they're driven by power or a cause and they don't care what they do in order to achieve that okay uh daryl what's another type of an evil party maybe uh, i always like the ones that are uh like you were trying to, the amoral, not necessarily evil, but they may have a code, may not have a code, but they're not the good guys. They are there for, you paid me, I do the job. Uh, you, uh, this bad guy slighted me, I have to take him down. Or this guy slighted me, doesn't have to be a bad guy, but that sort of, not necessarily evil per se, but blurring the lines between evil and neutral, if you want to go back to our alignment episode, those type of guys. Uh, I always think of uh, a lot of Shadowrun teams being that way. Well, I'm going to throw in another possibility on that side because I am a fan, uh, like Jason, I'm a fan of champions. And one of the styles of champions you can play, which was popularized in my favorite edition, 4th edition, is the dark champions style of play, where you are basically anti-heroes or vigilantes in the mold of the Punisher or, I guess, Moon Knight, Batman in some of his incarnations has been like this. And you're not necessarily evil, but you're far more willing to put the ends to justify the means. I would agree with that. In fact, I mm-hmm. I typically play, you know, bringing up Shadowrun. Uh, almost all of my <laughs> all of my Shadowrunners fall definitely in that uh, mindset. Mister Orange being the paragon of that mindset. So, tell us about this character, Mister Orange. What makes him a an antihero, if you will? <laughs> well, Mister Orange, he's. Uh, Psychotic uh, Bostonian elf. <laughs> uh, I already like him. <laughs> he uh, talks with a very thick Boston accent, and uh, yeah, he's wicked smart. He's he's absolutely <laughs> not above going out of his way to you know annihilate someone that he feels has wronged him in some manner. Don't cut him off, basically, because <laughs> he'll he'll find where you live and do terrible things to you. What's the the movie that I'm thinking of? Uh, it's a Reservoir Dogs. No, Denzel. Well, yeah, Reservoir Dogs <laughs> was, was initially where I got the uh, the motivation behind the character, but his in the movie uh, with Denzel Washington, where he's playing the uh, bodyguard for the kid that gets kidnapped down in Mexico. Man on fire. Man on fire. There's a scene in that that's that's pretty disturbing, where he you know basically tells the guy, "Look, I'm I'm going to kill you." anyway so you know let's just get that out of the out of the way basically so the speed at which i kill you is going to be dependent on what information you give to me more or less and that's kind of how i played (laughs) mr orange in fact there was a scene where he was interrogating a guy and and that basically came out was i'm going to kill you do you want it quick and painless or am i going to draw this out i have no problem doing either way but two things are going to happen. You're going to tell me what I want and you're going to die. So, you know, he's, <laughs> he's not really a good guy. He's not really a bad guy, but he's not above doing bad things. Right. So you have a kind of a gray moral world sometimes like Shadowrun is, is very gray uh, morally as a setting. 
Um, you could also say like Game of Thrones as a setting is very gray. You could say that, you know, uh, many video games, in fact, like Dark, Darksiders, which is the one I worked on, um, has a very gray moral, uh, side to it. So what are some, uh, what are some role playing games that you guys can think of that encourage or empower, I guess, to a larger extent, these types of groups more than others? I mean, we've well, already we mentioned Shadowrun. Yeah, it's that's kind of its adventuring paradigm. You're a bunch of urban mercenaries, right? So you're you're kind of pushed toward being the amoral professional. So, but in the same genre, you've got Cyberpunk 2020, which also feeds into that. I think any cyberpunk setting, you're really going to be pushing towards that. Fantasy settings can go either way. It just depends on the group and the GMs. They're not necessarily geared towards that, unless you're playing Thieves World. I would oh, also yeah. throw Midnight in there as a possibility. I would say running a uh, an Empire-themed Star Wars game. There you go. Certainly a possibility for that in there. And, of course, any of the Warhammer 40K, oh, yeah. any of them. <laughs> and settings, Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, even Warhammer Fantasy, yeah, are, are geared for very gray moral settings. Anything else? We got the quintessential world of darkness, both of the, both incarnations of that, uh, with a few exceptions like Hunter, uh, you're almost always playing a monster of some sort from urban mythology, modern mythology, a horror movie. Right. You're the bad guy, but you can try to play the good guy, but you're still the monster. Yeah. Vampire. Right. That's, yeah, yep. that's one part of the world of darkness for sure. Werewolf, all of that stuff. Serenity, Firefly. Really? It's there. I mean, you if, if you I can see go, it. If you go straight with the TV series or the movie, sure, you're going to go more towards the good side. But that doesn't necessarily mean the setting isn't geared towards uh, the, the gray area. I mean, you play smugglers for, for most of the time, right? I, I guess I would be surprised if I encountered a group that was playing Serenity and was, like, flat-out evil. Well, if you had a but, crew full of Janes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's a good point, right? That's That's definitely a good point. Um, if you're playing a Watchmen themed, you know, superhero game, which I have been in before <laughs> as well, that's another place you could go for that. Okay. So I think Bryant, you know, touched on this earlier when he was talking about Mr. Orange. What, what makes you play an evil character? Why do it? Or, you know, if you're not evil, then one of these types of evil we talked about. You know, I, honestly, for me, playing evil characters is always much more cerebral than playing the typical uh, good party. You've got to think a lot more about what you're doing and what your motivations are, or why you would be doing something, uh, whether it's considered okay, so a, a good move or a more bad cerebral. Move. Yeah. Less, less emotional. I, you know, I don't know if it's less emotional. Um, but I, I just think that the motivations of evil characters are, are much more fascinating. I think in uh, a lot of respects, Wow, that's that is literally the opposite of why I have <laughs> I feel about evil characters. That's fantastic. I'm the exact opposite. I've never played an evil character. Um, I uh, when I ran games for many, 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 many years, I've never let evil characters in the game because I always felt that they had no restrictions. They had nothing holding them back, no guidelines. Or at least that must have been all my players then. <laughs> I'm in the same boat with you. I run a, I tried to run. I, I had just re, it was before The Hobbit was about to come out. I just reread Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and I really wanted to do something Tolkien, heroic fantasy, good guys, epic, blah, blah. And then they show up with a party full of 
evil sons of bitches. We had a friggin' necromancer in my party that was supposed to be going through like a forgotten realm. Uh, uh, it was a Greyhawk, but I wasn't putting a lot of Middle Earth style on it. That went out the window. <laughs> so I then had to manage all these little murder bunnies, try to make them get on my plot rails that I had set up. <laughs> well, I want to tell a quick story about an evil character I played. Um, I played a character that is definitely one of the darkest um, I've ever explored. And uh, her name was Technicality, and she was a vigilante in this Watchmen-themed superhero game that I've mentioned a few times. Uh, Grady Elliott was the uh, the game master, and he's been on the show recently, actually. Uh, It was his game called Vendetta Rhapsody, and it was set in a universe where there were basically three sides to a big conflict between super uh, super heroic characters. You had the uh, you had the guys who had signed up with the government. Basically, they had uh, become an arm of the United States government. Then you had the syndicate, which was the last remnants of all of the supervillains and, you know, mobsters, and they'd all come together under one banner, basically the Legion of Doom for that world. And then there was the third side, which were the independents, which were where the player characters started out. We, we did not want to be under the government's thumb, and we did not want to be part of the syndicate. And it, it really uh, allowed us to play some really interesting characters. Technicality, of course, was my homage to both Batman and Iron Man. Uh, she wore a suit of power armor her, her husband had developed and had then been killed by the syndicate uh, because he didn't turn it over to them. So she she started out with this, this severe hatred of the syndicate and a power armor with a big railgun built into it. So <laughs> um, I used to comb the streets at night, you know, picking up, you know, minor thugs and slamming them against the wall and say, you know, what do you know about the syndicate? <laughs> and that was her, like, nightly activities. Um, and eventually we built up this, uh, big rivalry against the syndicate, which ended with me having to make a choice of whether I would or would not kill a bad guy. And the decision that I had made, but because of the way the character had come together and because of the, uh, the conflicts that had arisen is that she had started to really revel in that whole revenge thing. She had started to enjoy being feared. She has started to really appreciate the power that comes with being a scary, threatening force, especially when those people are the ones you hate. So she did make the decision to kill. And it was a big, uh, it was a big change in the character. It was a big change in the campaign. It was something that I enjoyed playing out, although I realized it was, you know, definitely something that I personally, as Ross Watson, would never do. And that's one of the, I actually put that in the show notes, not knowing you had a great story about it was, uh, examination of the darker elements of humanity. It's, it's kind of nice sometimes, especially if you're like, I'm in real life. I'm, I, when I was a teenager, I was punk rock rebel. So I didn't really have much in, much of a interest in playing evil characters. But when I was working for the government, I was goody two shoes. I'm law and order guy, except I'm resetting passwords, not actually doing anything important like you guys all did and do in Brian's case. But, uh, I kind of, for me, it was kind of catharsis. It was, I have to be straight laced, straight arrow guy 24 seven when I'm at work. I kind of want to go slaughter some people, justifiably so. I mean, I, I, I want to be justified in my slaughtering, not I'm justified in wanting. That's why I like playing uh, Grand Theft Auto, basically. So you know, I get to be exactly. a bad I guy. Used to, I used to at that job. There was a specific spot, and I can't remember which God of War game it is, but it's a 
it's a puzzle room where you have to drag a box onto this thing to get through. And if you don't, uh, an infinite number of uh, minotaurs will spawn two at a time until you figure this puzzle out. And I had a save game right before this room. There was a chest for mana that you could get, you could get your magic back. And when you uh, do the cutscene kill on the minotaurs, you got health back. So I had this saved on a specific slot. And every single time I got in with those little ampersand pound signed over my head, just complete anger, I would load that up and just kill, 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 kill. <laughs> get it out of my system. My uh, technicality became the kind of villain that's actually one of my absolute favorites. And, you know, that's the Nietzsche-esque one where they're fighting monsters and becoming one themselves. Rorschach. Yeah, she, she Rorschached. She totally did. Uh, Brian, do you have a story about a, a, an evil character you can tell us about, you know, maybe why you, you, you enjoyed playing them? Well, there's Sir Morel von Kiergaard. Oh, yeah. Comes to mind, my uh, paladin. That... Wait, what? That's right. I played a paladin, and it, <laughs> more than one actually. It, uh, yeah, I, I've actually played quite a few of them. It's not that I'm like the evil paladin. I'm, I'm curious. No, he he started off as a pure and good paladin, and almost went through a, a Vader esque type shift, and by the end of the campaign, was an anti paladin, and then actually became an Onshalin. Uh, the Death Knight. Uh-huh. So, and that was uh, in a game with with that Ross ran actually, and uh, it was a a very interesting uh, campaign to play, shifting from one extreme to the other. And and was that the reason why you you played that was to to just sort of find out what that would be like, or was there? No, I, I that was pretty much my my motivation was again I'm. I really liked the the cerebral aspect of you know what would it take to turn you know the this ultimate you know force of good into you know the epitome of evil and so that that's how I you know my whole motivation was exploring why that would happen. Nice. So like I said I, I'm I'm very much about the cerebral aspects of of evil characters more than the the mindless hack and slash of you know how a lot of times you see a party divulges into. I attack the darkness. <laughs> so where were you in my past games? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, uh, but yeah, paladins are definitely a fun, uh, class that I play. I, I listened to your podcast not long ago about the, the hatred of the paladins pull. And I immediately thought, wow, I've, I've played a lot of paladins <laughs> in my time. I would say you've played them well, though, in that you, you didn't, you played a paladin in a way. I mean, and we, and we brought this up in that episode, too. You played the paladin in a way that it was fun for everybody. You weren't actually like a, a, a policeman telling everybody what they couldn't do, right? Which right. is, that's where yeah. paladins get a bad rap. Um, yeah, they do. So what was, is there a, a, a point in, uh, Sir Kiergaard's trend, you know, transition from one extreme to the other that you can, maybe illustrate for us a, a little bit about, you know, how it happened and why it, it basically became uh, almost like how you were talking with your character, uh, the addiction to power that it, that it would create. Um, it was, was basically his motivation that, that kept shifting him towards, you know, the, the dark side, if as you were, um, it, it became, yeah, almost a total addiction to power until, you know, by the end when, he started, you know, drawing upon the uh, the dark blood and the the gifts that that, that entailed. Uh, 
it just became a, a huge power quest. So this is this is how Dark Lords are born in Ravenloft is exactly that. Yes, and uh, give you a little taste of power and just keep teasing you along for more. And and up until the uh, you know meeting Rots and playing in the Birthright setting, Ravenloft was by far my favorite setting because it, it was so fun to run a campaign and throw those little temptations at the party and see what you know who would bite and and how you could get them to you know kind of string along with you know before they realize it. Oh my God, my character is completely different than when he started. And then as. we ruined Ravenloft forever with with the party of, of dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> so true. That was such a great campaign I had lined out for you guys too. God, horrible. All right. I, I think after that I enacted the no single race rule. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. So Jason, you said you've never played an evil character and you've only had a few in your in your party from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever thought about uh, making a character who was a little more like an anti-hero or you know a little more amoral like a Game of Thrones uh, character? You know, and here's the weird thing, right? By Kamarthen's setting, it's influenced by Game of Thrones and Thieves' World. Dark, gritty, low magic. And whenever I get a chance Morally to... Morally gray. Oh, the entire place. I mean, it's from dark gray to slightly less dark gray. And, <laughs> and every single time I get a chance to play a character, I go the polar opposite. I play... The paladin, the Dudley Do-Right paladin, who's all about honor, who's all about his religion and, and bringing about his religion. Or I play a cleric who's solely dedicated to his god. And invariably, that's going to be a good god, whether that's neutral good or you know whatever alignment system you want to use. It's never a selfish, it's never evil, it's always good. When I played Rifts, the little worst, the most evil I got was unprincipled. I <laughs> just... I can't bring myself to play uh, an evil character, and I don't know why. I, but I think, have you ever been tempted? You know, I haven't. Um, Come to the dark side. We have cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thoroughly tempted to run a game uh, for evil characters, uh, and, and we spoke about that before we started recording, uh, how I was influenced to do so because I was I, I got tired of seeing how uh, the drow had become mainstream as a player character. And, and so I really wanted to have a bunch of people playing drow and other evil races uh, and, and make, the, make the entire campaign as evil as the drow are written about. I wanted them to be constantly looking over their shoulders and worried about the party itself and all of the people that are surrounding them. To, to give back that feeling of, oh, my God, if you live in this place, you are going to be insane because you have to be to survive. I'm also going to throw something else out there that we didn't we we kind of brushed over the idea of like other games that encourage you to be evil. And I, I forgot one that I really want to recommend to you, Jason, to try sometime because I think you'd really enjoy it. It's called Necessary Evil, and it's a setting for Savage Worlds where the superheroes are all dead during an alien invasion and only the supervillains are left to protect the earth because no one's going to conquer the world, but them. Nice. I think you'd get a kick out of it. I, I, I it's something that's a, a really interesting and neat setting. Um, Ivan Van Norman has some wonderful stories about his character from that. Uh, <laughs> so you should, you should try necessary, necessary evil. evil. Yeah. 
And I'll have a link in the show notes. All right, cool. That's almost kind of like a the you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thought process there with humanity and the supervillains. Well, that's kind of what I had to do whenever I got my uh, heroic party. Or I had my heroic adventure all planned out, and I got an evil party. And I'm like, well, I, I told them to make whatever characters they wanted. I gave them the guidelines, and they went against them anyway, so... I got to roll with it. So what I ended up having to do was take each character individually, look at what their character sheet was. They gave me like little backgrounds. They gave me like three or four sentences at most. And if you hear the derision in my voice, uh, d- again, look at the backstory for my game table character <laughs> where I wrote uh, about 4,000 words or something like that. The short story. But they gave me these little things. And I looked over and I'm like, okay, how can I make sure that this person's going to work with the rest of the party? And so I went to the wizard character, looked at him, looked at his goals, looked at his character. I'm like, okay, you are the biggest, you're going to be the biggest badass dark mage, archmage ever. Uh, you, he, he didn't actually see himself as evil, even though he was freaking evil as hell. He was skinning people. Oh, yeah. But he he did not see himself as evil, but I made sure he understood he sees the rest of the party as his minions. <laughs> uh, my friend James, his character was a uh, thief. He was 15 years old, uh, raised in the streets, sort of thief. Uh, very, 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 very uh, like thieves world or uh, way of the assassin kind of backstory to him. And I looked at him like, OK, you need a gang for protection. This is, you fell in with these guys. These guys are now your protection. You can hide amongst them, use them as meat shields, so on and so forth. And so I went through every character and found a reason for them to stick together. And then what I did was I made sure every single threat that threatened the village, the world, whatever, either gave them a massive incentive in increasing their own personal power, or it was a threat that it's, you can't take over the world. I haven't done it yet. That's a neat way to do go about that, I think. Yes, but I have I, I have another question, and this is probably best addressed first to Jason. I know you haven't really had a lot of experience with this, but what would you imagine are the biggest drawbacks to a group of evil characters in an RPG? Uh, well, right off the bat, to me, would be the obvious concern about turning on each other. Player versus player. Yeah, they really wouldn't have... Well, the lawful evil types might be against this, but those who are just there for, and I keep using, of course, the D&D alignments because that seems to be the common uh, relation. Uh, chaotic evil and neutral evil people would have no compunctions whatsoever about eliminating everybody in the party. If, if it, Well, for the neutral evil, if it serves some kind of uh, purpose for their own gain, and for the chaotic evil because they happen to be bored that day. Um, <laughs> but... Unless the entire party is lawful evil, I really see there being a huge uh, possibility of interplayer elimination. And that's a very valid point. Brian, have you run into this before? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the I think the biggest problem for a game master uh, when he encounters a party that, that wants to play the evil is that it becomes very, very difficult to determine what their motivations are going to be and how they're going to react to any given situation. And that becomes really frustrating sometimes because, you know, while any party is free to do whatever they want, typically when you're dealing with a a good aligned party, you pretty much know how they're going to react to, you know, someone is across the street being, you know, butchered by an orc. Okay. They're going to go help. Well, with an evil party, you could be dealing with, okay, well, the rest of the townsfolk are watching in horror as this person's being butchered by, you know, an orc. 
they're like, hey, no one's watching the, you know, cash box in the tavern. Let's go rob that instead. So it, it becomes a, a, a hurdle a lot of times where you're trying to anticipate how to kind of steer your, your party in the campaign that you've designed for them. Also, I think a lot of players see teamwork as a sort of good aligned virtue, <laughs> you know, and, uh, a lot of, I've, I've known several players who have said, well, working, working with other people is something that only good, only good guys would do. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I mean, look at the third Reich. That's not true. So. <laughs> well, I was going to go with the fictional example of the sinister six, but okay. Yeah. But, you know, Jason brought up a, a very valid point that a lot of times you, end up spending more time at the, the party figuring out how they're going to screw each other as opposed to actually get anywhere in the game setting, you know, and that, that comes down to, to knowing the, the party and, uh, you know, if it, if it's a mature group that's going to approach it in a manner that will allow you to run it, then yeah, then you can run it. But if it's a group that you can kind of determine, ah, this is going to turn into a hack and slash against each other. You know, it just kind of takes the, the, the wind out of the sails. Uh, there's yeah. a game called Black Crusade, which is a Warhammer 40k setting, where you play as, uh, agents of chaos, uh, space marine, chaos space marines, and, like, renegades against the Imperium and things of that nature. And because everybody is, well, basically, either insane, evil, or both, in Black Crusade, we came up with an idea called compacts. And a compact was, basically a contract that all of your characters signed saying we have a greater goal that we are going to work together to try and reach. And that was uh, the solution that basically the team that I was on came up with for an evil party to work together rather than against each other as much as they possibly could. Well, you know, Daryl brought up a, an interesting point too, in that the best evil parties in my experience are the parties that play as if they don't see themselves as being evil. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And so they might be some, you know, dark, sinister dudes, but if they don't see themselves as that way, then working together and working towards an end goal is much more achievable in, in the game setting. So, you know, it's Darth a little bit Vader, easier when your alignment isn't spelled out on a slot in your character sheet too, to pull right. that off. But, you know, and I almost, honestly, I usually left that blank. Uh, I almost never really played to an alignment. Uh, I always played motivation. And, you know, like I was just about to say, Darth Vader doesn't see himself as evil. You know, Emperor Palpatine, I don't really think sees himself as evil. He sees himself as bringing order to chaos. So, if you play an evil character in that way, it's it to me it's much more enjoyable than being you know just a hack and slash automaton of or I'm chaotic evil I'm just going to kill for killing's sake you know it's much more fun to play Dexter. <laughs> yeah. All right. Completely. Jason, you were going to say. Uh, completely, completely agree with what Brian said. The the best evil is the one that does not think it's evil. And especially when the the good guys come to arrest them, and they've got this amazing look of confusion on their face and betrayal. And when they finally flip over to the full full board, well, screw you guys! I'm going full evil now. <laughs> well, you know, it, I'm it was coming a, home. It was a joke. Yeah. It was it was a common joke that we would tell when we were working on Dark Heresy that the end game for any Dark Heresy party would be that they would be planning their next 
their next action when the door would get kicked in by a bunch of strangers who would then say, everybody freeze, Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, some player is going to pipe in with no one expects the Inquisition. Well, the, the, the point is, is that the kind of kind of the whole thing about Dark Heresy is that you would eventually become that which you fought against. Yep. Back to Nietzsche. <laughs> stare into the abyss, it stares into you. Exactly. Um, is there ever, I guess this is a question I want to address, is there ever a concern that an evil party will cross some boundaries and maybe take the game in a direction you really don't want to go? Yeah. I would say yes. And again, that's going to be, you know, you almost have to sit your, your players down beforehand and go, look, this is the this is the campaign idea that I have. These are some things that I want to steer away from that, that we don't necessarily have to explore in you know, the, the playing of an evil group or a group that others might consider evil. No women, no kids. Yeah, you can, exactly. <laughs> you can kind of lay that down beforehand. And so everyone has, okay, you know, I'm, I'm playing, you know, I'm, I'm playing the empire. So, you know, half the, half the galaxy thinks I'm evil, but I don't really see it that way. So I don't have to run around and, you know, butcher babies and, you know, mindless acts of just, violence for violence sake you know this isn't a two-hour movie that we're doing this is you know a, a month-long miniseries yeah and i think you could even look again back to things like game of thrones is a good example of that like uh, cersei lannister is extremely evil um but she has she herself has only you know done it in very minor incremental actions over time right and when you get to her point of view chapters in the books yeah uh, she completely sees herself as the victim exactly Exactly. Yep. Good old martyr complex. So, yep. Jason, what are some ways a GM could could maybe avoid if you wanted to run a game with with some evil characters? Maybe you want to run a game of necessary evil, but you don't want the boundaries of your particular tone and taste to be crossed. How would you How would you address that? Oof. You have to be very clear, very very clear about the type of campaign that you want to run, uh, and you can't really deviate too much from that evil characters if given half a chance will at least in my experience will uh, pretty much go off the deep end at the slightest provocation so you really have to make sure that they're focused that they have their goals and they're really focused on those goals and you can't really give them too much um, too many distractions you, you toss a bunch of shiny squirrels in there next thing you know your campaign's derailed and the whole town's burning <laughs> You know, and that happens all the time in nights at the dinner table. Well, yeah, I mean, that's exactly <laughs> what most good most good groups are basically tumblers. And you, in order to make an evil campaign work, you need to actually kind of go away from that model. It has to be more mission based, uh, less let's go kill all the monsters, let's in, less let's invade somebody's home, kill them, and steal their stuff, like a good party does. You, you need to have it more, <laughs> more focused on. Uh, subtleties, more political moving maneuverings, um, give them a tight focus. And I think that communicating the tone, the overall tone would also be very important. Yes. And I would definitely point my group toward our episode that we did on graphic content Oh yeah, with Bill Keyes and Robert Swab, where we went over a lot of those sort of things in detail. Uh, some a little bit too much detail, but... <laughs> That's why it's about graphic content. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, definitely have a conversation beforehand. Say, these are the... I am... 
if the R word comes up at any point in this campaign, we're ending immediately. That sort of thing. You make it clear up front exactly what you will and will not allow them to do. Keep a leash on them, in, right. in other words. You know, let's say violence is okay, sexual violence is not okay. Uh, you know, killing, killing any adult is okay, killing any, anybody younger than adult is not okay, for example. Just some basic rules. And, and honestly, do you really want to play with people that would go that route? You know, though, here's something, though. Again, like I said, that I typically draw motivation for characters that I'm designing or that I'm wanting to play based on movies, books, comic books, things that I've read or seen. And a great example of, of that is Enemy of the Gates. Yes. Uh, the German sniper, you know, is plays kind of, he's almost like, if you had to throw something at him, he's almost lawful evil. Because there comes a point in time where he decides, okay, well, I'm going to use this kid as my bait. Right. And, you know, and he kills a kid. And if I was running a, a game where a situation like that actually made sense in the story, I probably wouldn't shy away from it, but I would handle it the same way that the director in that movie handled it with, you see the end result, but not the actual act. The act itself. You, you know, the act yeah, itself. You wouldn't linger on or celebrate or glorify the act, right? Right, but you know, I mean, that's one of the most powerful points of the whole movie when he tells him, you know, I'm, I'm very right. upset with you, Sasha, for making me do what I'm now going to have to do. Good point. You know, and he's and he's walking him down the the railroad tracks, you know, and you don't know what's going to happen. And then the next thing you see is this kid's hanging from, you know, a yard arm. Basically, you're just like, wow, and <laughs> this I think, guy will go to anything to <laughs> get vengeance for his son. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out right now, actually, that although some of the things we're talking about may not be to our tastes, there are groups out there that enjoy kind of exploring the darker side of, of, uh, of characters and darker uh, themes. And that's OK. We're not saying that evil groups or evil parties or any of that is bad, wrong, fun. We're just saying, like, I think, especially in, in some cases, like maybe Jason's and, and my own, it's not really to our particular taste. That's all we're saying. A, a lot of the games that I ran when, uh, ran or played in were evil games. So I'm kind of, I, I, I'm used to being, trying to be the good guy in an evil party. <laughs> yeah. Well, Which is, that's never a fun task, by the way. No, Do we it need- is fun being the bad guy in a good party, though. That's fun. Isn't that weird how the opposite of that is true? <laughs> Drive Through RPG is the place to go to purchase digital copies of your favorite games. Dungeons and Dragons, Shadowrun, World of Darkness, Savage Worlds, Numenera, Fate, and so many more. Do you long for the feel of actual paper in your hands? Well, they sell physical products too. Just go to GamersTavern.org and click on the link in the show notes to find your favorite games and support the podcast with every purchase. And we're back with episode 34 of the Gamers Tavern. We are talking about evil parties. And we had just started talking about what it's like to be an evil character in a good party. Anybody want to pick up the ball on that one? Well, you know, it, it wasn't myself so much that was the uh, the evil character in, that I'm thinking of, but our buddy Dan, who oh, played God, Dan Bernard, <laughs> Dan Bernard, who played a uh, character that eventually became an, an Anche, uh, the Salamander. That's right, and hmm. he was he was just straight up evil, uh, <laughs> but no one knew. 
that he was evil and no one knew what his goals were. And, you know, I mean, he's playing with, you know, I was a, a chaotic, good blade singer. We had, you know, our, our whole party was made up of, of good characters, but his character specifically was, was just straight up evil, but he played it perfectly to where no one knew that basically, yeah, we had, you know, an Adolf Hitler in our midst. We had no idea. <laughs> And until, you know, he eventually became an Anshe and we were like, whoa, how, <laughs> how'd that happen? You... <laughs> well, what are some things you remember about the way he played that character that resonate about how, you know, how, how it was cool and not, and not bad? Well, what was cool is one, he did everything on the side, uh, away from the, the eyes of the party when he was up to, you know, his shady stuff. And the other thing that I was always impressed with the way Dan played that character was with, the way that he could look at any situation and determine what his motivation for whatever action he was going to take, why he was going to do that. And so, you know, even though he was evil, I think he looked at us as, again, the ways to, you know, the ends justify the means. Working with this party, while these are a bunch of, you know, goody two-shoes in my, my eyes, they're going to get me to where I need to be in order to take over, which, again, was the was his lust for power was what drove his evilness. And I, I really don't think that the Salamander even viewed himself, as we've mentioned before, as being an evil character. He was, but since he didn't view himself like that, he was able to pull it off with a good aligned party superbly. And if I may, you know, take a moment to talk a little bit more about technicality. Um, she was the darkest character in a party of good guys. Now, it was a very morally gray setting. Uh, but if you look at the rest of the party, I think on their own individually, they were pretty, pretty much good guys. And her actions sparked what I thought was some really excellent role playing because it did come down to some, um, very long, very deep conversations with the moral compass of our group, you know, about what it meant for me to make the decisions that I had made and what it was going to change in the future. It felt almost kind of like episodes of, of a really good television show where you see someone kind of explore and question their beliefs and then choose to do the wrong thing anyway. True. So, Jason, you've have you ever been in a party of good characters and seen an evil character as part of that group? Um, I, I have been in a group of, of good characters where somebody attempted to play an evil character. But uh, <laughs> as, I, as I go back to my earlier days, uh, most of our players... Uh, that wanted to play evil characters uh, were, for all intents and purposes, vandals, um, without any subtlety or thinking of it like Bryant does, where it was all Wait, cerebral. Vandal, vandal says in spray paint, vandals is in the ancient warriors, or vandals is in the punk band? The spray painters. Okay. Uh, but more like, oh, look, there's something I can break because it's there and I have a, 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 a tire iron. Um, so they're not really evil, they're... <laughs> Near do wells. Yeah, except for the fact that <laughs> that's how it starts. Um, they're like, I'm just going to do whatever I want because I can. Uh, and that rapidly descends into, well, I'm bigger and stronger than these townsfolk. I'm just going to go ahead and start robbing them blind. And then, of course, some townsfolk decide to get brave and then they slaughter them. Um, so that's why that's what started my my opinion of evil characters in parties in, in general was because of a couple of decades of nothing but that kind of mentality behind the evil characters that were being played 
Uh, yeah. Do you think? Do you think your opinion has changed? Uh, maybe even during this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, Bryant made some very excellent points. Um, that was actually uh, what I was hoping for with the evil campaign that I was going to run. Is I wanted cerebral evil, right? And, and that came about through me learning or reading more and more books, uh, getting into more series that were darker and darker and darker. I, I, but I, I always had that fear in the back of my head that as soon as I give uh, them the okay to be evil, uh, they're just going to be running around, killing everything that moves, taking whatever they want. And so it always stopped me from actually running a, a game again. However, once I get the, uh, uh, the remake of Kamarathan out, I, I think I will be motivated as a playtest to run an evil campaign again, to try it again, to see if that will actually play out. Well, here's a question for you guys. The evil character in the good party, is there another way to do this? And I, the question I'm going to ask is, what about redemption stories? Brian? Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, uh, redemption. Um, again, going back to, it, although I didn't... I didn't play him as an evil character. At one time, my bladeslinger, Gavanon, could have been looked at as an evil character because prior to joining the party, he had been one of the Gilly Shi, which is the band that's uh, run by Rove Manslayer. The um, Hunt of the Elves. The, the Hunt of the Elves. And they, in the Birthright setting, their mission is to basically eradicate humans. You know, they... they they go out and they murder villages. That's that's what they do, and they don't see anything wrong with that because humans are a plague. And so Gavanon, actually, his story begins with his redemption because he had been rescued on the road by a uh, paladin of Kurikin. And so it, it kind of shifted the way that he viewed man as a whole, and so he decided to start working towards basically helping humanity uh, and, and to fight the, the Hunt of the Elves and eventually fight Rove Manslayer and, and take over the Hunt of the Elves. Uh, so, you know, I, I wrote a short story about him, and in the beginning, you know, he's, you know, the, the typical Gilly She member. You know, he, he revels in going into, uh, you know, the human settlements and killing humans, and it really doesn't matter at what age they are. And so... To, to kind of play that up in the game, uh, Ross and I had worked out where any time humans did something that actually fell back into the stereotype of how the Gilly-She saw humans, I would have to make a wisdom check. And if I failed that wisdom check, I basically, you know, Gavanon became almost a, an NPC where he would go on a mindless killing rage and just start attacking humans all the way, you know, anywhere that he happened to be. And uh, I only actually failed that wisdom test once and, you know, murdered half of a village. Uh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> oops. You know, and I, you know, Gavinon felt really, really bad about it afterwards, but not while he was doing it. So. Well, there's a, there's a great story uh, that's lived through almost all ages of, of recorded history. Uh, that's the story of Hercules when, you know, Hera curses him and he, ends up killing all of his loved ones and then goes on a quest for redemption. You know, it's a very strong tale. You know, and and Star Wars, you know, is is about the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. So, 
you know, I think it's a great motivation to play an evil party. Wait, where, do, or, where, do, where, do you, where do you get that from? You're, you're talking like they made three more movies that were prequels that were all CGI with Jar Jar Binks and stuff. Those don't exist. No, those I don't know don't, what you're talking those, about. You don't have to even acknowledge those to, to realize <laughs> that the you know, initial three are still about the redemption of Anakin. Eh, it, well, it's it's he's a big part of that for sure. It's a lot. It's a lot more obvious when you yeah, it is the movies that don't but, exist. You know, you can even play. You know, again, when you sit your party down and say, "Okay, look, this is kind of the themes that I want to touch on," and one of the themes that I would like to explore would possibly be, you know, the redemption, to where yeah, you start off and you're evil, and something starts to shift, starts to change, and how can you come back from that abyss that you had dwelled in for, you know, however long, in the case of, you know, like the drow, it could be millennia. So there's there's all kinds of different concepts that you could work there that would be really interesting to explore with an all-evil, or even just a, a single character within a good party that happens to be evil. Vegeta. Yeah, 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 that's not a bad way to go. Uh, Jason, do you have something to say about redemption stories and, and evil characters? You know, I think Brian pretty much covered the entire thing. You know, as I'm listening to Brian, I'm like, you know what? I don't tell stories when I GM. I am starting to realize that more and more. I am a, a what I guess would be considered a sandbox GM, where I'll have a, a basic storyline about what's going on in the world and what's going to happen. And then I set that in front of the players and say, go, be you. There's nothing wrong things. with that. Absolutely no, not. Uh, no, no, absolutely. I actually get some of the best stories that way because they evolve organically. Yes, exactly. And, and But what that doesn't allow for is this sitting down with the players and saying, this is the kind of story I want to tell. And so I'm, as I'm listening to, to, to Brian uh, talk about his past games, I'm realizing this may be exactly why I've always had issues with having evil characters is because I have this free-form gameplay. And if at any point I'm not able to give them guidance, they can easily decide, well, that looks like a nice tavern. I think I'll burn it down. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, as a, as a, a GM, I always kind of looked at it as, as you are the director, mm-hmm. but you're directing an improv cast. So almost like whose line is it anyway? You can give, okay, here's what it is. Run with it. And as a GM, you can tweak things that happen outside of the player's control that can kind of guide where their improv goes. And so, you know, when you're exploring themes, it it definitely becomes much more incumbent on the GM to make sure that he is guiding the discussion as it as it plays out. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I need to be on more of these uh, these podcasts so I can be educated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well we'd love to bring you on for more shows jason um here's Look, another question though for you so evil character in good party wouldn't you say that secrecy is probably a huge deal i mean it seems like a very common theme we've talked about but it seems it, it almost i guess i guess the question i'm asking is it necessary to be super secretive Usually you'll probably want to, at least at the start, especially if it's a good party, not just a, you know, chaotic, good, neutrally, sort of morally ambiguous party. You definitely want to keep that secrecy up front because otherwise you're just setting yourself up to be another bad guy in their eyes. Unless you've, unless they're doing the metagame, you've got the, uh, as Elizabeth Bear put it, the glow of player character hood around you. So we're not going to attack you. 
otherwise, story-wise, <laughs> it makes no sense. So you kind of have to hide your evilness from them. And that's the metagame reason. The endgame reason would be you've got these allies that you've got for whatever motivational reason that you are going with these people, whether it's to spy on them, whether it's you need protection and they're going to give you more power, or you have a similar goal, whatever it is, you have to not scare them off. I, I, I'm not sure I totally agree with that, Daryl. And okay. I'm going to throw a couple things at you as an example of that. Well, I think you are right in, in many cases, um, but I think in some cases it's actually okay to be the monster amongst the heroes. And I'll give a, a one example. Mongo is just pawn in Game of Life. Well, that, you know, yeah, possibly. I was thinking actually of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, Jekyll. Yeah. 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 Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, he is clearly a monster. Everybody knows he's evil as hell, but they, they need him because of his power. And they, he doesn't hide anything, right? I mean, that's kind of part of his deal. And you could even look at it, um, from the actual play and look at and say Molly Mayhem, who doesn't hide any of her, <laughs> any of her issues either, right? But we keep her around. Why? Because she's a monster, right? She, yeah. Maybe she's a monster, but she's our monster. And we've got her on a leash for now, but do you really want us to take yeah. her off of it? So maybe secrecy, you know, is, is, is important, but only on a case by case basis. You're talking about something that really depends on the gaming group. Yeah, absolutely, it does. And the specific evil character. There's some of them that would want to be cloak and dagger secret. There's some of them that, like Molly, would be upfront and open about it. And there's no point in secrecy there. And again, it, it varies. I'm giving my personal interpretation based on the general idea of the evil player in the good party. There are, of course, many, many cases where being out in the open and being the monster on the leash is a good thing. And it'd be a lot of fun to play that guy, too, by the way. Yeah, there's Richard in Looking for Group. Yes. <laughs> Belcar. Belcar from Order in the Stick. Yeah, Belcar. Order of the Stick. Yeah, great example, Belcar, yeah. Is it a matter of being secret from the actual players or just secret from the characters? Well, you know, that's a really good point because secrecy, <laughs> secrecy, I think, actually adds a – well, you know, Brian's a great guy to ask this question to. Um, uh, Jason, do you mind if I have Brian answer this one? No, by all means. All right. I – Almost always, no one knows anything about what I am playing other than what they can see. I, I very rarely will bring character knowledge to... I don't, I don't allow other players to really know what I am, who I am, or what I want, unless it serves me in the story. The example that Ross is probably kind of laughing about, and oh, I yeah. was too... <laughs> is you know and, and we had kind of talked about this earlier um with the drow i played for the better part of a year a character named mandrel who for all intents and purposes was a bounty hunter designed uh, dungeons and dragons designed boba fett <laughs> and i had gone through you know various dragon magazines and you know just every book and i found all these neat little gadgets that i could incorporate and basically build Mandalorian armor. And so that's what I did. And <laughs> and when I had this armor, I was thinking, okay, well, Boba Fett is never seen outside of his armor by anyone that lives. So basically it became a character motivation that, that no one is ever going to see my character outside of this armor, which then kind of gave me the opportunity to go, you know, because they're never going to actually see my character. They don't know 
what my character is. And it allowed me to play a female drow, you know, and, and able to operate in daylight, basically, because I was under this suit of armor with sunglasses, more or less. <laughs> and I played this character for the better part of a year before anyone found out that Mandrel was actually a female drow elf. Well, you know, it's nice. Well, a drow for one, or, or even, you know, even a woman. I mean, you could never tell that his character wasn't male. Right? Because he was so secretive. And the best part for me was how people would always try to figure it out based on what they could see. Now, back in second edition, uh, female drow had an awful lot of really crazy spell-like abilities. <laughs> yep. So Brian would bust out occasionally with like, you know, this, this weird spell and it'd be like, okay, so he's gotta be some kind of spellcaster. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, well, that had know, nothing to do with it, you know? <laughs> something, something that I used to always like to do. I, I, again, I like to keep people guessing. And I used to play another elf under second edition that I would always show up with, you know, the long sword and the green leather type, you know, uh, outfit. And people just would always assume, oh, ranger, you know, there's a bow. He's got a long sword, whatever. And actually what he was was a mage thief. But with (laughs) the bonuses that you got as an elf, you could play basically as a fighter and no one would really be the wiser of it. And so that's what I used to do. And I would intercel- you know, or uh, introduce myself as a sellsword or whatever, but because I didn't want anyone knowing that, hey, I'm actually you know, a mage thief. And <laughs> I, so I'm a big, big fan of keeping personal motivations, uh, you know, in this case, alignment of being evil. Yeah, my, anytime I would play that, the party would not know that that's what I was all about i do have one caution based on that uh that game i was talking about the uh, it was a pathfinder game i ran where i was trying to do the heroic thing and they came to evil players never keep an eye on the cleric and keep an eye on the rules if you're playing in that evil game and you're trying to hide your alignment because of four spells detect evil detect chaos detect good detect law because if you're traveling for more than two days they've got time to prep all those spells well, carrying a lead sheet happens to be part of my culture's manhood trials. <laughs> <laughs> One inch thick lead sheet, you know. Well, you know I'm impressing my culture. That's where uh, <laughs> uh, alignment systems tend to break down when it comes to playing uh, an evil character in disguise within a good group. Very true. Secrecy has its limits, is what we're saying. Yep. So know your edition, know your rules, and talk with the DM first or your GM to make sure that you are able to pull that off. Otherwise you're going to run into that sort of problem where, okay, so you're definitely evil, but you're not chaotic and you're not lost. You're neutral evil. And you know, something, and this goes back into the DM being the, the director is if a player decides, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do a cast alignment, you know, or or a detect alignment spell. Okay. Let's, let's talk about this because what's your motivation to do that? Why would you suddenly just decide, this guy, I'm going to decide, you know, I want to see what his alignment is. And that was my problem with this group is they always had an answer. Anytime I had a question for that, it's like, well, I'm traveling with this guy. I want to know if I can fall asleep around him safely. And when they come up with that, then you can give them, you know, the go ahead. But I've just always found that it, it's, there are ways to, I wouldn't say prevent because ultimately a player can pretty much do whatever it is that they want to do, but there's ways and there's ways as an evil character to mask 
what your ultimate intentions really are. Because again, if you don't see them as evil, if they don't see themselves as evil, you know, there's you you can be yeah. ambiguous in the way that you handle that, really. Yeah, and that that goes back to our alignment episode when we discussed it toward the end of the episode, where we discussed how alignment works with player characters versus monsters and NPCs versus always something and I I never really liked the idea of alignment being solid thing, especially for player characters, because it's like you said earlier, it's more about motivation. It is what is driving them. And if they don't see themselves as evil, are they going to show up as evil on that sort of detect spell? Are they going to, is the paladin's magic detect evil radar going to pick them up if they don't think they're evil? And they don't have this like aura of, I just slaughtered a school full of children around them. Yeah, you start to raise some very uncomfortable questions when you were going to that territory. Yeah, that slaughtering yeah. school kids aura will stick to you for days. It's almost impossible to get out of your cloak. <laughs> <laughs> it really will. You know, you track it all over the place. Oh, I want to take the ball. I want to take the ball and toss it into Jason's court again. Damn it. Jason, Jason, can you tell us, I mean, you, you, you've mentioned a couple times you wanted to do an evil campaign. Yes. How would you run as a GM a campaign with evil characters in it? Just, just sell me on the whole idea. Um, first, I would find a GM. <laughs> Not yourself. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> um, well, let's see. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to recall the way that we had got it started for the evil campaign that I tried to run, and it only lasted a, a few episodes um, because, again, life the universe and everything gets in the way. Um, I, I started it off. Uh, 42. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I did was, is I, I wanted to center it around a, a political takeover of Shadowdale in the realms. Um, huh. And I wanted the, um, the drow characters that were in the party were members of a house that were making inroads into uh, basically, they were a scouting mission to find the weak spots in the defenses of Shadowdale. Um, and that was just one stage in the rest of their expansion outward, right? So this was the initial foothold on the surface. Um, so this way, the party all had uh, a mission. But due to the political infighting and backstabbing that is inherent within the drow culture, I had set up all of these little threads that unfortunately never never got to those point where the party would start having to question their allegiance to each other and whether or not they wanted to remain loyal to the people that originally ordered them to make this excursion. So I had all these threads put into place for the baseline of you're going to go scout this out and report back to us and make contacts with the local orc horde there and make an alliance with them. So sticking to my original point that you have to give them a constant focus or they'll go burn down anything they see, uh, that's how I wanted to start it out. I would play that. I, I think there's a lot of opportunities there to you know make, make characters question their beliefs one way or the other. Maybe they're not doing enough evil. Maybe they're too evil. I think there would be some really <laughs> interesting parts there. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a really good idea. Uh, and it was for 4th edition D&D, which was interesting. So it was great for tactical games, which I really like you know, uh, simulationist style combat, and that was perfect system for it. And then I could rely on the players and the play by post format 
to really allow the drawing out of good role playing and the ability to keep things secret because you can hide posts. Right. Bryant, why don't you tell us about how you would run an evil campaign? One of the little tricks of the trade that you can do to start a party on a, an evil campaign is to basically design their player characters for them. It was a trick that you actually utilized once where you came to the table once and handed everyone little slips of paper. Right. And on those were... Goblins. Goblins. And so during that game session, we were actually playing a, gar- a goblin party. And so... <laughs> it was so much fun. It, oh, my it God. It was a lot of fun. And it was one of those just, you know, it was a complete surprise. No one had any idea that it was coming. And it was a lot of fun because, it you know, it was basically just mindless you know, play. We didn't, we didn't have to, to think to get into it. It just came so naturally and it was such a neat, uh, diversion really. And so I think that if I was wanting to run a, you know, like I'm on this real big Star Wars kick lately where I've been kind of toying with a couple of ideas that I want to jot down to, to eventually run again is a, is an imperial campaign and with a group that is eventually going to, you know, I want to kind of steer towards the storm commandos. And so I would take, you know, okay, here's my players, and I would basically tailor certain, you know, character builds towards, you know, the the players in my group and, uh, you know, bring them to the table, explain, okay, this is the the, the motivations that I, I kind of want to explore, and here I took a lot of work away from you because here's, you know, the slicer, here's this, here's this, here's this you can flesh out their their backstories but this is ultimately what we've got to work with because you're stormtroopers mechanically you'd have all their character sheets done right and so i think that by handing out okay here's your character here's the the overall motivation go is is how i would handle if i was wanting to run an evil campaign and again you know you having seen how i you know handle the empire i don't really have them look at themselves as being evil. And I think that's a perfect example of where you're saying it starts to make you question, well, you know, are these guys really evil or is it, you know, as Obi-Wan says, from a certain point of view, (laughs) (laughs) you know, don't get me started on that one. So, you know, and the drow that would work perfectly in a drow or a Duogar or, you know, any of the, the classically evil races, Darrow, the, the Darrow, you know, there's, you could, you know, even a, a, a party that I w- always thought would be really interesting to run would be Mind Flayers. Um, but you would have to basically come to the table and say, you are a group of Mind Flayers that, you know, your ultimate goal is to basically take over this planet for food. And you eat brains. How are you? How are you going to do it? There's only five of you. <laughs> it's an interesting challenge. You know, so I think that would be how I would handle it. Right. And... What would you guys do to address some of the issues we talked about earlier, like player versus player and pushing boundaries, things of that nature? (laughs) Player versus player is always, you know, it is always a a possibility. You always run into the guy that's the thief that decides he's going to try to rob the rest of the players blind because he's the thief. Um, It's one of those things where if you're going to run an evil campaign, it's not something that you can do you know, right out of the box, in my opinion, with a group of players that you know nothing about because you, you really have to tailor the campaign to the players in order to allow them to, 
explore. And it, it's, it's such a hard thing to, to keep players from going into the chaotic evil mindset if you don't know the players themselves. So, you know, I think that's one of the great questions on, you know, for any GM is how do you keep chaos from reigning, especially when you're delving into an area where sometimes chaos can be the natural path that a player thinks their character is going to go down. So a lot of times it takes a lot of sidebar conversations like, okay, you can do this, but let's think about this. Is this something, you know, is your character really going to go on a mindless murdering rampage through the town or how would, how would, you know, player or character (laughs) X actually (laughs) operate in this setting? We like to joke around in the actual play that whenever our GM says, are you sure? The answer is always no. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of a universal role-playing rule. But the, the reason why I was laughing a minute ago is, uh, he was saying, do you really want to go on a murderous rampage? Uh, in my evil group, uh, I started, they started upping their shenanigans. And so I said, okay, screw it. We're taking a field trip to Ravenloft for a little while so I can teach you a lesson. First thing the barbarian does is get offended at an innkeeper who doesn't want him in the, in his inn anymore and slaughters everyone. Seriously, his first day in Ravenloft, and he slaughters a bunch of innocent villagers. Ravenloft is such a great setting. I mean, that was, it is a really hard setting to run right, but it is a, it you, is a great setting. You gotta love a setting where GM Fiat has a rule set. Yes. In the dark powers, man. So Jason, how would you address the issue of players pushing boundaries or player versus player in your campaign? Delicately. This is so situational. Uh, for example, in the campaign that I was going to run, um, I fully expected there to be some player versus player uh, interaction. Um, I was ho- I was hoping that I would build up enough of a rapport and enough sense of we need to survive against the bigger enemy to avoid that from happening. But I had resigned myself to knowing that there's going to be at least one player who's going to say, you know, F it all, I'm going to just take this guy out for whatever reasons. And you, I, was go- I was just going to let it happen and be a lesson <laughs> learned because I, I figured that that one person would be outnumbered by everybody else. And I think as a matter of survival, the everybody else would band up against the Lone Ranger um, and take him out. And then that person would have to sit there and decide, do they want to come back and play or do they want to uh, just sit it out? And I think it's something that you're probably going to have to deal with, but not as often as you think. I never, I only had one player versus player incident uh, in my entire evil campaign I ran in Pathfinder, and it happened because I had one of those players who, I'm bored with this character after two sessions. I want to make a new one. He needs to die. So he committed suicide by a barbarian <laughs> by taunting him. So that was the only player versus player death we had. Aside from, uh, this is also the one where I had my uh, treacherous, uh, uh, the barbarian player ended up having to leave for family reasons, and but I brought him back for one more session where he played the mole in the party, the traitor who was working for the NPCs. So, And that was a lot of fun. I talked about that pre- on a previous episode. But yeah, it's not going to come up as often as you think it probably is. And it's one of those things that you can, as the DM or as the GM, kind of mitigate if you pay attention to the character types. Like I said, when I ran that campaign, the first thing I did was look over the characters. Why would these people work together and work with each individual character and the player 
and figure out a way. Okay, why would you not, you know, slit these guys' throat in their sleep and take all their stuff? Well, because they're my minions. I need to take care of them so I can get more power. Or because they're my protection, they're my gang, or whatever. Uh, because I'm on a mission from my god was the cleric's reason. Yeah, the, the, and, the eventual turn from Belkar is a great example of that as well. Yeah, and it. Did that cleric have sunglasses? I was just thinking that. <laughs> I <laughs> so wish he had. He, uh, I can't remember what god it was, but it's from uh, one of the minor gods from Greyhawk, which is it was basically a chaotic neutral Thor. And so I made him as a strength must prevail sort of. Are you talking about anyway. Cord? Not Cord. I cannot remember the name because, like I said, it's one of the minor gods. Uh but it was it was a god of lightning and storms, uh, and like I said, it's a Greyhawk unique deity that doesn't show up in any of the other uh, settings that I know of. In Birthright, that would be Kurikin. I'll have to look it up, but yeah, but I I gave each I talked with each player and figured out why you're not going to slit everyone's throat in their sleep, and I already had built up. Someone wanted to play a Drow, except I was running the uh, into the unknown kind of inspired by module that I had. I, I basically took. D1 and D2 modules, the one that goes into the drow city and everything else, the first one where the drow showed up and kind of converted those and influenced by sort of original adventure. And someone wanted to play a drow character, but I already had in my mind what's going to be the drow character, why you're not slitting their throats in their sleep. It's because that would be the weakling's way out. You can, you can subterfuge your way in circles around these people why would you resort to blooding your own hands use cat paws that's how the that's the drow way so you just have to find those ways to because the players typically depending on your group won't want to uh just completely zonk on each other and have a big battle royale so it's just a matter of finding an excuse for them not to right I think, you know, the only thing I would say is um, if I was going to run another evil campaign and I wanted to address these issues, I would definitely try the, you know, this is basically my go-to, right? It's always communication. Uh, I would try and talk about expectations. Like, these are the things I expect, and I want you to talk to me about things you expect. And I would try to get everybody on the same page about teamwork and try to get everybody on the same page about boundaries, you know, the things that we're comfortable exploring, the things we aren't comfortable exploring. I try to have some kind of contract written down ahead of time that really just kind of spells out some of these things. And I, I would almost say that it's really more important with an evil group than with your typical group of heroes just because there's less, I think, consensus about you know what's acceptable for an evil party. Yeah, I can see that, absolutely. Uh, you, you need to start off with guidelines. This is what I'm looking for. This is what we, uh, what I will allow, what we won't allow, what's your input, and then go from there. Make sure everybody's in agreement. Right. You know, and there's ways to do it, uh, it through plot devices as well. Is it kind of what uh, Daryl's talking about is, you know, okay, this is your gang. This is your minions. This is, well, you know, another way would be a curse. You know, it's something that just, as we've been talking, I've been kind of bouncing around in my head wouldn't it be cool if all of the Dark Lords of Ravenloft decided, well, let's get rid of Ravenloft because we want to go back. Okay, so they all have a common goal to work for, and you could make it you know, clear in the initial talking about the campaign, in order for this to work, they all have to make it to the end to be able to huh. destroy the Ravenloft setting. 
So then you wouldn't have Strahd trying to kill, you know, Soth. I mean, they they would be, you know, vying for strength within the group, but ultimately Strahd needs Soth at the end. Well, that's like a whole different type of an evil campaign, too. That's like against a greater evil than yourselves. Like, mm-hmm. like you're all bad guys, but there's like, holy crap, there's a really bad guy over there, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's different ways that you could approach the problem. Okay. Well, we're, we're running low on time. We're getting close to the, uh, the last call here in the Gamers Tavern, so I want to start talking about our final thoughts. Why don't we start with Jason? Jason, what are your final thoughts about evil parties of role-playing characters? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Too much work. Be good people. Be nice. Be kind. Love your triple. No, it's... I think uh, my opinion of evil campaigns has changed over the years um, it, you know, from my roots of, oh, my God, this is the worst thing ever. If it ever happened, I think I would bail to. All right. Let me let me try one. Let me try running one. Um, and then after this uh, little panel, I have now seen a nice shiny squirrel and want to run out and reopen my <laughs> my 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 old uh, uh, campaign which i remember the name of now is called immaculate drow ooh so yeah uh, if i can get a party that thinks like bryant on this subject uh, you know the, the cerebral evil as opposed to the slaughter everything because i happen to be hungry uh, crowd I think it can work really, really well, and I think some really interesting stories can be told. Um, but I don't think that it's really for every group and every GM, and I, I think there has to be a, a, a strong relationship between all parties involved in order to really make it work. A bond of trust. Yes, absolutely. And just being on the same page um, – some people's idea of evil is very different from others, and they have a very different tolerance for the subject. Yes, agreed. I want to point out, just for the record, I would totally play in your Drow campaign, but I would also totally play a Dark Lord of Ravenloft teaming up with other Dark Lords. Nice. Yeah, I, I've always, <laughs> you know, I've always had a fas- fascination with Soth, so I would love to explore that character in a in a setting. Okay, uh, Bryant, what are your final thoughts on evil? RPGs or evil RPG groups. Well, you know, I mean, I, I keep going back to ultimately it's motivation. Um, you've, you've got to really decide what your motivation is and why you're doing what you're doing. To me, much more so than playing a good aligned type character archetype. And, and that can be pretty draining to play consistently well over a long period of time. So typically I've found that if you're playing or gearing a, a campaign towards, you know, with an evil party, it's probably a better idea to start them off uh, as established characters already with some levels and items so that you can basically jump forward to where the good stuff is going on. Not, <laughs> you know, okay, I'm, you know, I've, I've got a, you know, D8 worth of hit points. Oh my God, you know, I'm, but I'm so evil. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's much more... Oh my more, god, you guys, I am so evil. I am so evil. Right now. And I just got, <laughs> you know, killed by a single die roll. Mm. <laughs> you know, so my I, I god, think, Becky, look at her <laughs> look evil. At, look at her <laughs> evilness. <laughs> I'm a monster. Rawr. Rawr. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, as a, as a GM, you know, I would 
if I were going to explore this, I like I said, I would already have established players uh, or established characters in the setting and say, okay, here's where you're at, and here's the the theme that I'm wanting to to kind of explore here. Go, and cool. that way it's a, a shorter campaign to where you're not burning your characters out, and it's also something that lends itself well to revisiting. Well, low power evil can be fun too, like the goblins. And Pathfinder has some great goblin adventures, by the way. We be goblins. Yeah. Yes. And like I said, one of the most fun things that, that we had done is, was that, you know, side campaign or sidebar with the, uh, the goblin party. But, you know, <laughs> even a goblin, uh, an all goblin group, you know, I, that, that comes to the whole race thing. Is it, you know, are they, evil because they're evil or are they evil because the rest of the world doesn't understand goblins you know so i don't know i, I just if i'm going to run an evil party I'm, I'm looking for a much more cerebral game but like i said the problem with that typically is it's really easy to burn yourself out when you're constantly thinking about motivations right and you know i guess if you think about the goblins idea a little bit more that's almost like a, a, another different type of evil party more like the mischievous you know, I, I would say cruel mischief, and it's more about kind of screwing around. Uh, almost closer to chaotic neutral in a way. Yeah, but they're still, t- you know, more more Saturday morning evil. Yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay, I'll get you next time, Gadget. And that would be more fun, and I think you know, taking things a little less seriously, but it'd still be a fun evil party to be. Would be goblins, especially if you were working for the spider. Oh yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. Like another birthright reference. <laughs> I'd, yeah, great setting, great setting, one of the best. Go back and listen to our episode where we talk all about it with uh, with Richard Baker, the creator. So mm-hmm. I remember meeting him with you. Yes, actually. it was awesome. <laughs> in fact, in fact, you and I had talked about possibly purchasing the Birthright setting when uh, Wizards of the Coast had discontinued that. Yeah, it's a shame it never it never really went anywhere. Yeah, we needed ten grand. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was for sale at ten grand at least at one time. That's yep. true. Oh, that's Kickstarter money now. You didn't have that behind your couch cushions? No. Daryl, what are your final thoughts on evil parties? I'm going to slightly disagree with our two guests, unfortunately, and say it's not as bad as you think it's gonna be. An evil party can be a lot of fun. You just have to, as the person behind the screen, put a little more thought into character motivation than you would in other things it's the world is threatened you must go save it why you have to actually give them reasons and motivations that are personal to their characters because by their nature evil characters are going to be a little bit more selfish it does require a little bit more work but it can be a lot of fun and in the right context you can have a blast it's nice and cathartic Give it a, if you've never done it before. Give it a shot. Uh, try doing something a little bit more more morally ambiguous or gray versus gray. If you're nervous about people going full Viking in the pillage and plunder and burn mentality, but give it a shot. It's a lot of fun. I'm going to echo a lot of what has been said here already. Um, I think if you haven't tried it at some point, you, you you should consider it. There's a reason why a lot of great actors, when they're interviewed, they talk about how much fun it is to play the bad guy. It can be a really liberating experience uh, to sort of fantasize about being, you know, a darker brooding or 
funny or, you know, just, just having no limits like some of these characters, these evil characters really do have. Just look at Jeremy Irons in the D&D movie. How much fun <laughs> was he having on that set? Now uh, is your time uh, to die. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, just, you know, if you're going to try it, though, I do think, you know, some of the things we've talked about are, are things you should definitely consider. Keep in mind the idea that PvP is going to happen. Uh, keep in mind that boundaries may get pushed. Communicate. Talk about your expectations. But ultimately, I think, you know, it's it's something that people uh, – you know, might find really rewarding. It's it's something to think about, if nothing else. And uh, that's going to bring us uh, pretty close to the end of the show. Why don't we turn it over to our guests one more time so they can tell us about their latest thing and where we can find them on the interwebs. Uh, let's start with Bryant. Bryant, uh, I know you're not a a publisher or anything, but uh, do you have a, a homepage where we can learn more about you? Yeah, other than my Facebook page, that's it. That's about it. <laughs> I'm pretty uh, low key right now. All right, is there a, a unit or uh, you know something about the core that you would uh, ask people to look at? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I'm if, if you're interested in what I do, yeah, I belong to uh, First Tank Battalion, so they definitely have a web page. Okay, we will have a link to the First Tank Battalion of the United States Marine Corps in our show notes. And again, on behalf of Daryl and myself, not only thank you for joining us on the cast tonight, but thank you for your service as a veteran. Yes, I, I made many jokes about being the liberal hippie, but I do support our troops. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And, you know, like I said, thanks for uh, letting me uh, be a part of tonight. And Jason Yarnell, what's your latest thing and where can we find you on the interwebs? Uh, well, I'm much too distracted to only have one thing. So I'm working on uh, three settings at once. <laughs> Uh, you can find out about them at d3adventures.com. Um, I'm also on the on the Facebooks, and each of the settings have their own open group on Facebook. If people are curious about what's going on, want to check on the development. Uh, in particular, uh, Urshanic Confluence. Um, I often appeal to the crowd for information, um, uh, such as monsters or ideas, and. I also put out requests for paid work from that group. Uh, so if you're interested and you want to participate, by all means, join up. Okay. And where can we find out about on-target training? Also on the web and Facebook. Uh, it's otthouston.com. All right. Uh, on behalf of Daryl and myself, thank you guys for showing up on the Gamers Tavern tonight. We really appreciate it. And I know it was kind of a tough subject, but I think we did it justice which is a weird thing for evil characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I had a great time. All right. And so until next time, may all your hits be crits. Hi, this is Nick Jaworski, and you may not realize it or probably don't care, but I edit some of the shows here on the Gamers Tavern Podcast Network. If you like podcasts but love audio editing, then I have great news for you. I have my own show titled One Degree of Separation, and you can listen to it right now and subscribe at OneDegreeWithNick.com. The show is kind of hard to describe. Each episode is basically an experiment that contains original music, stories, interviews. It's probably just best if I quickly show you some recent episodes. Try to see what you had. If you had anything interesting for me. Well, uh, have you ever, ever waterboarded somebody? It was actually a story of Abraham Lincoln, a very superstitious man, seeing his own doppelganger multiple times over a couple of nights. When looking in the mirror, he saw two faces. His normal face and then a pale, ghostly one that, that worried him. 
I have to get back to editing right now, but you should go check out all of that and more at OneDegreeWithNick.com. Thanks.